Welcome to Weird Works. I'm Dr. Christy, your host. This podcast was designed to create a space where conversations about alternative healthcare topics can occur in an open platform without judgment. We will bring the facts that support sometimes controversial subjects in an attempt to break down barriers towards accessing true healthcare. All too often, alternative care is sought after as a last resort rather than a first option. This podcast will provide the evidence that you need in order to make informed decisions about your health, to empower you with the facts that you need to take your health into your own hands, and to encourage you that there is hope your body heals. Join us to hear from experts of all things weird, as well as the testimonies of people with stories of radical healing who were once told that their condition was a death sentence, maybe that they would just have to live with it, or that drugs and surgeries were the only answer. We look forward to sharing stories of encouragement with you. Please leave your questions in the comments so that we can engage with you. And don't feel shy or hesitate to let us know what alternative healthcare topics you would like to hear more of on the Weird Works podcast. In good health naturally, I'm Dr. Christy. Okay, I have a special guest today, one of my best friends, Captain Stephanie Lincoln with Fireteam Whiskey. And she has an amazing story of recovery to share with everybody. Um, Steph has been a house favorite of Health by Design. We've done events together. At one time, we even cohabitated, and she did some of her work out of our office space at the older office. Um, We've just done a ton of stuff together. We've been interviewing each other. And so um, we had a little bit of a change of plans because of one of her latest excursions and I know a lot of our followers have also already been following Stephanie. Um, She was here in the office and I don't know if she was able to get out because (laughs) everybody was greeting her and saying they're so glad to see her and that she's back. Um, But if you haven't been following uh, Stephanie's journey, she was recently saved by the search and rescue after spending 56 hours alone in the Olympic National Forest after what she said was supposed to be a somewhat casual day hike. Right, Stephanie? Yeah. Two hours was what I was planning. Two hours turned into 56 hours. And so there's so many golden nuggets from the story to share with people um, about what it was that exactly saved her life. And so um, all of us that know her, when we immediately got Um, noticed that she was missing, never gave up hope for a second because we know her so well. And what she's going to share with you today is really how like she had been training to survive this event her entire life. And so we think that the the information is important to share with all of you guys. So Steph, tell us what happened that day. Um, Like you said, I'm uh, very, just give a little bit of a background. I am a very experienced hiker, so I'm not just somebody who just went out into the wilderness and said, I'm going to do a hike, and I've never done one before. Um, I probably have, you know, definitely over a couple hundred hikes under my belt. I was in the Army for 10 years, so I'll put that out there too. So I've had uh, wilderness survival training. I've spent weeks in the field with the army, um, at very, very solid um, navigation skills and, and you know, and survival skills training. And I actually had some more advanced training. I was, um, if you've ever heard of the Eco Challenge or the World's Greatest Race as it's um, termed, I actually was in the Florida Army National Guard endurance racing team. 
And um, most of that is orienteering with just a map and compass, survival with minimal equipment for several days out in the wilderness, um, navigating from different points. So, um, and very, very arduous physical physicality. So I did that in my 20s. So all that being said with that background, um, setting out that day for just a quick day hike, um, I wanted to get a couple hours in and, but I always bring um, a full pack with me. So most people go out on a day hike with, and it drives me crazy because I'm trying not to roll my eyes, but I am doing it right now <laughs> with okay. just like a bottle of water. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll see people out on day hikes, you know, wearing jeans and like little crop tops and, um, you know, not really hiking boots. And, uh, you know, they're just out there with their little bottle of water and that's, that's their day hike. I carry a full pack. Um, with a, a full uh, a four liter um, water bladder. I bring um, lots and lots of different um, survival items with me, including electrolytes, which is key. And um, so I had my full pack, minus a couple of things that I should have with me because I failed to do a back check before I left, which I usually do. So that's one lesson learned for you out there listening. Always do a pack check because I was missing a couple of key items I normally always take with me. Um, and basically my theme of my life has always been plan to fail. And so that's what I usually do when I go out on hikes is I just plan to fail. And I had never failed before, but I did fail that day. So what happened? How were you on the wrong trail? Like what exactly got you off course? It was a combination of a couple of major errors. Um, I was using an app, a very commonly known app. I won't call out the app, but um, most <laughs> real hikers use it. <laughs> uh, most hi hikers use this app. And um, it took me to a trailhead and I had previously downloaded the map to my phone. So I had that. And I also had kind of a, a physical map, but it didn't have trails on it. It was just kind of a geographical area map with me for the Olympic National Forest. And uh, it took me to a trailhead and I, you know, got out of my car, got my pack on and then, you know, I looked around and there's a trail. Okay. And I had, it had already told, had been told, you know, in the app that it's an unmarked trail. You know, there's no sign, you know, for most of us who are familiar with hiking, you know, there's sometimes there's a sign in a map and, you know, it's pretty obvious. Well, this one, there was a warning ahead of time that it was an unmarked trail, which I've done many, many times before, no big deal. So I look off to my right, I see a trail. Okay, there's my trail. So I, you know, get to go on on it. Um, and I'm, you know, following this map, it's going in the, generally in the correct direction that I'm heading. But, a, a, you know, maybe about 15, 20 minutes in, I started to notice some red flags. You know, it was, it was very grown over, but it's summer, which you typically, experience in the summer on trails, it's very grown over, um, you know, kind of lots of fallen logs and there was kind of some animal paths that crisscrossed through it. So it was a little confusing because it was an unmarked trail again. And I was just kind of having a hard time. And at that point, um, I think my overconfidence and, and, my, and my abilities and my competitive nature got the best of me. And that, you know, a normal person probably would have been like, you know what, this is too hard. I need to turn on and go back. Me, I'm like, I'm going to beat this trail. I got this. 
you know, I'm Stephanie Lincoln. I could, I'm Captain Lincoln. I could do this. You know, it's not going to beat me, right? So I would have that was around. my major mistake. <laughs> <I would've laughs> exactly. Been like, you would have done the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So me, you know, and I, I, I've been saying this a lot is my, my confidence level in myself and my abilities. It was a double-edged sword to me out there. It was the thing that, that contributed to me getting it lost. But it also was the thing that contributed to me um, surviving my situation. Because if I had not had the, the, the confidence in what I was doing and my ability to survive out there, I probably would have panicked and made some very, very bad mistakes and maybe could have ended my life. Sure. So that's always so interesting, right? Like a lot of times your biggest gifts are also your biggest flaws, right? Yes, and I'm working at very, very arduously in therapy right now to figure out a, a, a you know, a healthy balance, <laughs> you know, sure. to try and find a balance in that area, you know, because being overconfident, you know, gets you into some pickles that maybe you shouldn't be in, but being right. underconfident also doesn't push your boundaries and, and have you achieve mm -hmm. the things that maybe you could achieve. Exactly. So that's a great point because you always, everybody always thinks like, oh, I should be more confident but it's good to see in the extreme sense of it, like, yeah, it's, it's needs to be in check. So I get that. Exactly. Yeah. So all of your friends that were back home that never gave up on you, the reason is because we were like, it is Captain Stephanie Lincoln. We knew how well trained and prepared. We knew what physical, you know, your physical fitness level was, and we just know your character. And so we were like, gosh, if anybody's going to come out of this, it's going to be, you um so we just wanted you to kind of talk to the audience like about how really like you had been training for this your entire life without knowing it so between the army background and fire team whiskey and your physical fitness level and um adapting your body to burning ketones you know talk a little bit about that if you would yeah yeah, that's a, that's a, a theme, I think, that in my life is, um, I, Christy and I are, for those who are listening, are in um, a, a mastermind group. So we, you know, in a group of women, and we do these retreats, and we kind of work on some, you know, not only our businesses and our, our first professional development, but also a personal development. And one of the exercises that we did um, kind of led to our mantras, you know, kind of a, a, a theme, as you will, you know, and... Um, what was yours, Christy? I it work was, on purpose. Yes, I work on purpose. So we, we kind of did this exercise, a very powerful exercise where we found our theme. Well, my theme was born to be brave. And certainly, I, I, looking back now, I feel like, wow, almost everything that I went through in my life was preparing me for this situation that, you know, where I was, my life was put in danger, but you know, my level of confidence, again, being brave um, to take on the situation. I was equipped with the tools to, to use um, in order to help me survive in that situation. So um, I, you know, have had a lot of, uh, with the Army history and, and the endurance racing history, I covered that. Mm -hmm. um, Fireteam Whiskey, so that since the inception of Fireteam Whiskey, I created Fireteam Whiskey for the very purpose to help military members, veterans, and first responders 
get in peak physical shape in order to be able to survive their their daily operations with you know and the things that come their way way that aren't common to you know a, a typical office job you know so most people aren't driving to work every day you know thinking that they they may end up in a life you know altering situation or a, a um, life-threatening situation but law enforcement does and and corrections officers do and firefighters do right so and military do so I wanted to, you know, make sure that military members, veterans, and first responders are equipped with those physical tools that they need in order to help them survive a situation where maybe if they need to react very quickly, they have, you know, the fine motor skills and, and the power and the energy to be able to do that. Um, that they can go a long time without food and having to have sugar in order to have energy to keep going. And that's huge with the military. So if you're in a, you know, a 14 hour battle for your life, a firefight with the enemy, you can't just say, hey, time out. Okay, everybody stop, stop shooting at me. Um, I need to eat, you know, my blood sugar's <laughs> getting low. I'm a little foggy in the mind, I'm sleepy. And man, I'm just kind of, I can't even lift my arms anymore. I'm just, oh. Yeah, that would have some M&Ms. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, that's not, you know, that's not the way things work, right? Not at so, all. So, you know, yeah, so critically, it, it, low blood sugar is actually a very, very critical issue with when it comes to, you know, threats to your life. Um, you burn through all of that energy very quickly. So if you are not what we call fat adaptive and able to switch pretty quickly over to burning body fat as fuel, you're going to feel that blood sugar lull. You're going to have less reaction time. You're going to have very foggy brain functioning. Um, you're not going to be able to move your body as quickly or, or as long. Your heart rate is going to be spiking. You're going to be, um, it's going to be really, really hard to catch your breath. So you're going to have all of these things going on and you're trying to survive. Right. Right. So wouldn't we want you to be in a situation where you're functioning on all, you know, all charge. I've got plenty of energy. I, my legs are focused. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I, I can think clearly. I'm not shaking from low blood sugar and having to like sit down and put my head between my knees because I'm about to pass out. You right. know, that's why I created Fireteam Whiskey is to help military members, veterans, and first responders get physically and biologically um, in that healthy space. So they can, you know, be able to survive just in case, you know, something like that happens and you need to tap into those tools in order to survive. So um, all of those things kind of culminated. And of course, my, my hiking history and all of my experience doing that into this very moment where three years ago when I created Fireteam Whiskey and I was warning and I've been preaching for three years, you know, Dr. Christie, I've been that's all I talk about, you know, you've got to be fit, you've got to be healthy, you have to be fat adapted, this is so important, it's the difference between life and death, it could be the difference between life and death, how many times have I said that? And little I don't did you know, situation. yeah, little, little did, did I know, three weeks ago, mm -hmm. that's it, three weeks ago yesterday, I, that, or tomorrow, that, that was it, I found myself in that very situation. She's going to be we with me tomorrow, so I'll make sure she doesn't go into any wooded areas alone, guys. <laughs> Yeah, between you and April, I think I, I'm going to end up tagged with something. I'm going to have like a chip in my butt. 
<laughs> you might already have one. <laughs> I know. I don't know what you did when you adjusted me yesterday. I adjusted like, her. <laughs> do, I, do I feel something in my the back of my neck? Like did she just muscle tension? <laughs> just muscle tension. Did she slip something down into my spine? <laughs> Tracking <Not> down. <laughs> Well, I want to talk a little bit about that. I actually put one of my questions on this card was about body hackers. Wasn't it Dave Asprey was like the original like biohacker guy when he came out with like the Bulletproof company? Was he the original bio biohacker? Yeah, him and um, Ben Greenfield um, okay. were around the same time. They came out around the same time, but yes, yeah. And uh you know, there's there's some there's some older gentlemen who who were kind of into that too. Um, but yeah, those are like, those are the two big names right now. Is, is to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you, I would say, when I first heard about your recovery story and you had told me everything that you had been through and the physicality of it and all, that's the first thing I said was like, Steph, you just hacked your physiology in a way that like most people would never come close to. Um, so our audience is very well aware of adrenals, that whole fight or flight sympathetic nervous system. So do you want to talk a little bit about what you felt like? Because people are never going to experience that like drastic response of the adrenal glands. So what, how, do yeah, you, yeah. how would you say the adrenals kind of carried you through and what did you feel physically as a result of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I hope that no the people listening that you never get into a situation again. It, it is it is with the hope that you never do, but the issue is hoping doesn't make it, you know, yeah. happen, right? So we have to plan to fail. Yeah. So um, yes, and when I initially realized I um, was lost. I did have that, you know, immediately, I mean, we all have kind of had a panic situation, right? Where maybe you got into a car accident or, you know, you've maybe fallen or, you know, something where you kind of have that heart seizing panic where it just, if you feel it in your chest, like in your heart and you, you know, you kind of lose your breath and you're, you have a quickness of breath and your heart starts beating really fast. And maybe I do remember my hands were shaking a little bit. And my, you know, my heart rate was going way up and I was starting to go into panic mode, you know, like, oh no, this is, I am really lost. This is, this is it. Um, but then, you know, I, I took a few deep breaths and then I kind of, the, the thing about if you've ever done um, meditation or even yoga, just deep breathing exercises, um, there's kind of this technique of overriding your physiology with your mind, mm -hmm. you know, so your body may be in panic mode and your heart rate may be up and you're, you're, you're starting to really breathe really heavy and start to have trouble breathing and going into maybe a panic attack. If you tap into your mind and, and just the very, very like base of your mind, you can realize that you have control over those mechanisms and that you can override them. And basically at that point, you know, I kind of tapped into my brain system, took some deep breaths to slow down the physiology, you know, to, so then it's a biofeedback loop. So if I slow down my physiology, then my brain feels like it's not being panicked. And then it needs, it can, then it can slow down everything. But if I keep thinking, oh no, I'm in trouble. Oh my God. Oh my gosh, I'm lost. 
nobody's going to fight you know start thinking about all the worst case scenarios and you're spiraling my physiology is going to follow that pattern right you know so so the important thing to do is to interject and and go okay i i realize this is a bad situation but i'm equipped with the tools to handle this i have to remain calm i know i can survive out here I'm going to do the things I need to do to get myself safe and to get myself found. And as soon as you start, you know, you can feel the energy go down when you start thinking about those things. And it's like, okay, your physiology is, all right, I'm safe. I can, I can deal with this. And it slows down. And so I kind of describe it as a switch. You know, it's like you're just turning on the, the panic switch, the, the, the flight switch, or you're, you're turning it off and going into survival mode at that point. You only have two choices at that point. You know, I can't just la 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 go about my day at that point. It's either panic or yeah. survive, which one I'm going to choose to do. So you quickly had to make that decision. It was very quickly. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it was within minutes, you know, after I kind of got, got my physiology calmed down, it was like I turned a switch. And at that point, from there forward until the guy leaned out the helicopter and waved his hand at me and acknowledged that he saw me, I felt no pain, no fatigue, no panic, no sadness. I didn't cry. I didn't panic. I didn't scream. I didn't yell. I didn't, it, it was just, I'm on a mission. This is, these are the decisions I have to make. Here are my choices. This is what I'm going to do. Oh, this, is, this didn't work. Now I'm going to try this. It was, it was just focus mode, focus mode, focus mode. It was soldier mode the whole time. Yeah. You know, so it, I, the, the physical, I felt no, no low, I didn't eat for three days, by the way, audience. So I had no food with me It's crazy. and I didn't even think about it. I didn't even once think about food, not once, you know, so it was, you're just focusing on the things that you need at that point and I didn't need food. So that was just not even a thought in my mind. So I wasn't, wasn't even concerned about, I was tuned in, you know, making sure that I was in, in tune with my body, making sure I was hydrating, making sure that I was taking rest when I needed to. Um, I, I was paying attention to, you know, my, my hydration level, my heart rate, and, and especially the fighting hypothermia at night, you know, being very in tune with those, the, the signs and symptoms of hypothermia. So just making sure that I was kind of keeping track of those. Um, but other than that, it was really just like, I got this. And of course, I know my adrenaline was just, I was just running on it at that point as fuel. So I'm sure my adrenaline was just pumping because I don't know how anybody could do, you know, 56 hours with no sleep pacing all night long um, and just not even feel like they were tired unless they're running on <laughs> adrenaline at that point. But even with that, like, because you had already been training and you were in good health and you were physically fit. So was your stress response because if somebody had gone into those 56 hours already with adrenal fatigue, which like 90% of our practice has, they wouldn't have had the same amount of reserves to carry them through the same amount of hours that your body was able to. Like if you had started that hike with your adrenals already tapped out, you might have survived for like a third of the amount of time, right? No, no. There's a, there's a common term in the hiking world called bonked out. Bonked. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah, bonked. So you're, it's called bonked when your body just is tapped out. Yeah. And, and you, it's just, you physically, like, 
I mean, it, you, you see videos of people doing this on hiking trails all the time where they just literally just go limp yeah. and they just physically like their, their muscles are just like, Nope, we're done. That's it. We're, we're done. And they literally collapse. You know, they may, may or may not pass out. Some do. Um, but it's their, their body and their mind, their adrenaline's completely tapped out. Their blood sugar's completely tanked. Um, they're not fat adapted and they they probably, you know, started that hike with, um, very already tapped out and stressed uh, adrenaline systems. So they had nothing else left. So, you know, at least, you know, to my advantage, I had the advantage of a fat adapted body, um, a very experienced with fasting body. So it, I, it didn't even phase me. I do several day fast once a quarter. And I had a very, very healthy adrenaline system at that time. Now, it's very different now <laughs> since I used it all. <laughs> but we at the time. We tested adrenals yesterday, so she can report <laughs> on that if she wants to. Yeah, it was, it was bad. I guess I, I have, I definitely used it all when I was out there. But again, you know, if, if I didn't have that, you know, it's like going on a, a trip in your car and, you know, you have like a quarter of the tank of gas and you know, you need a, a third of a tank of gas or yeah, a third of a tank of gas to get there. And you're just driving along, you know, wishing upon wishing a, on a hope that you're going to get there. And you know, that's not going to happen. You're not going to get there on fumes. So I had the advantage of having more tank in my gas to get me as far as I needed to get in order to, to get to a place where I could survive and, and get um, rescued. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so talk about that for a second, because I think you realized there was a point when you knew you were going to be saved and the helicopter rescue Super Sam guy was coming down, that I think you were bonked at that point. <laughs> I don't think I was bonked, I, but it was, um, yeah, it was the, again, like the flip, I flipped the switch. So I had been in survival mode, completely kind of detached from my emotions, from the panic, from the physical pain, from the physical fatigue. Um, you know, I, it's, you know, run on adrenaline for three days using all that. So when I finally mentally had a confirmation that I was safe and I was going to be helped and saved, that's when normal Stephanie turned back on. <laughs> it's like, okay, you're safe now. We don't need all this adrenaline anymore. You can feel stuff and emotions and all that good stuff. So as soon as the guy waved from the helicopter, acknowledged that they saw me, I physically, yeah, my legs just buckled. And my, I mean, I just lost all function <laughs> in my body for, for a, probably a good five minutes. Yeah. And I felt every pain, every emotion, every ache, every ounce of fatigue, all those hours of just physical strenuous work. Um, you know, I had a, a level one frostbite on three of my toes, just so sore and cut and bruised. And my fingernails were all split from climbing and bouldering for hours and hours and hours. And, uh, yeah, and it was just, it hit me like a ton of bricks, and it, I physically collapsed onto the floor, curled up into a ball, and just cried <laughs> like an infant. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't think I've cried that hard as an adult, you know, in my life, 
and it just was all of that emotion all at once. I probably had a couple panic attacks, you know, there just panting and snot flying out of my nose and <laughs> crying hysterically and yelling and screaming and um and yeah it was it was kind of a catharsis it's like okay we've saved all this up we've protected you from this mm -hmm. and now we can't hold it anymore because you, you're safe so we're just going to go ahead and open the floodgates and it it was definitely an opening of the floodgates yeah. um but it was it was also a cathartic moment because it was just like okay i can let it all go now all this tension and all this stress that i've just been shielding myself from so uh yeah it hit me pretty hard but I, I recovered, you know, it took me about 10 minutes, but <laughs> I got myself together. <laughs> yeah. Well, nobody knows what they're going to do. I think we all say that, like, you don't know what you're going to do in an emergency situation until you're in it. Now, you knew a little bit because you had trained, you know, you had more training than the average person, but you don't know how it's going to affect you and how your body's going to answer the call, you know, until you're mm -hmm. in a situation like that. Yeah. Well, obviously, yeah, exactly. your situation was an extreme example of uh, fight or flight and the adrenals coming to your rescue. Um, but people do that all day long. And you, I just, it's a very drastic depiction of what the adrenals do on a daily basis. And what Steph is describing is really what the adrenals intention is they're really only supposed to have to turn on in an in an emergency extreme situation to fight so you need to like defend yourself or flat flee like run away from danger or sometimes even freeze so that's mm -hmm. the thing she didn't freeze because of all her training she could have just froze and not know what to do with all that adrenaline coursing through her veins but the adrenals aren't intended to carry you. They weren't meant for endurance. They're meant for short bursts when you need it. But the majority of people today are relying on those adrenals for long-term endurance because they're not fat adapted, because they don't have the reserves, because they allow one incident of stressor after stressor after stressor without any like period to recover or heal or rest in between. And they're just already totally depleted. So if Steph had gone into the situation with her system already depleted, it would have been a life or death, it would have been, you know, life or death situation. So I think it's important for people to realize how important adrenal function really is. Like maybe they'll never find themselves lost in the Olympic National Forest. However, when you do need to call on them, if they're not there for you, it can be a critical situation, right? Exactly. Right. And then what you, then what you, I just want to put like some of the science behind some of what you just described. Um, then what you experienced once you knew you were safe and you were found was the adrenals, the natural like stress adaptation is like the adrenals will carry you through the incident. And then when the stressor is, is alleviated and apparently gone, they turn off and it's such a drastic on and off that it will be a collapse, so to speak. And so other people might have experienced the same. I always like to use like college students as an example, like their adrenals will carry them through, you know, the trimester and late nights and studying for finals and all the stress. And then what happens when they finally come home on spring break or, you know, winter break, they get sick, they get the flu or a cold and they spend the whole time sick. It's because 
their adrenals never recovered, you know, and they didn't have the reserves behind that. So um, Stubbs is a lot more extreme example, but we do that. We tax our adrenals on a daily basis that way. So exactly. I just think it's so crazy, like for you to say that, like you didn't feel anything. You didn't feel hurt. You didn't feel anxiety and panic. You didn't feel hunger. You didn't even feel like frostbite in your toes. That's insane. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, that tells you how high my adrenals were working. You know, it was just, it was just, you know, it, survival, survival, survival. If it had nothing to do with my survival, I'm going to ignore it, you know? Yeah. So in order to survive, I couldn't feel ty tiredness and fatigue mm -hmm. and, and pain and all the bumps and cuts and bruises I had, you know, cause it wasn't relevant to my survival at that point. So the body can just, it, and the mind is so so powerful it can just completely override those those things that all those signals it's getting from my body it's like nope don't need that it's sorting nope don't need that either nope is it does it have anything to do with me surviving right now nope we're gonna put that away it's gonna be right here in this bubble I'm just gonna keep it right here for a minute and then once we're safe we can open up that bubble and let you feel everything all at once. Yeah. All at once. It didn't so need what, to be all at once, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And that's a good point because I remember, you know, back in my um, my late twenties or mid twenties, um, I, you know, I, I was working full time. I was going to school, a grad school. I had like two jobs. You know, I was in the military, and I had, you know, two part time jobs. And I must have been operating off of maybe two or three hours of sleep a night. And I would do this every day you know and then i remember you know as the days go on i'd be fighting falling asleep at the wheel and you know i would have this brain fog and make start to make a lot of, a lot of mistakes with like schoolwork and you know things projects i'm doing for work or whatever and i remember on fridays i would come home from work and school and i it would be like you know six o'clock and i wouldn't even eat i would just physically just like almost like drag my feet I could barely pick them up at that point and just fall into bed <laughs> just like I don't even take like changing my clothes and I would sleep for like 16 hours you know and it was like and I did this every week and I think about that time and I'm like thank goodness I was in my 20s because you know I was young and I could have a little bit more recovery, but if I've tried to do something like now, that like that right now in my forties, and I know so many people who operate like that, yeah, their lives too. like that, they're so tapped out and they never, almost never take the time for recovery or it's a very short recovery time, like one day on the weekend, which it's is not sufficient, right? It is not sufficient to make up for six days of go, 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 no. tapping out on every resource. You can't just make up for it for sleeping in on a Saturday. Yeah. So people say that like, I'm going like to catch up on my sleep, right? I'm going to catch up on my sleep. Like you actually can't do that. <laughs> no, no, you can't. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> I wish it did, but it doesn't. So mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's just so important for the audience listening. You know, I understand that we have busy lives and we, you know, it, our society in general is just a very busy, stressful society. And especially with COVID and everything else going on right now, yeah. it's even just so much more important health-wise to, to prioritize your recovery and prioritize managing your stress and, your, and protecting your sleep 
window on a daily basis and not just saving it up for one day a week. Well, I'll take it easy on Saturday. That doesn't make up for six days of trashing your body. It'll never make up for it. So you're just going to end up doing decades of damage. And then guess what? Now you have this big hole you dug yourself into and you have so much more healing to do now. And then you're much more susceptible to, you know, developing an autoimmune disorder, things like that, especially as you get older. Yeah, exactly. Um, I know you're familiar with it and most of the audiences, but in our office, we do that heart rate variability and we hooked Steph up to it to see what would happen to her after, um, you know, this amazing need for recovery at this point. But on average, what I've seen with people across the board, not having done anything different, like staying on their supplement plan, you know, eating healthy and everything, but just living in this environment with COVID and all the unknowns and the, you know, distancing and the division that exists in today's world. And I've seen um, their stress age it increase five to 10 years, like added five to 10 years of stress across the board on average for everyone. So it's just something to be aware of. Yeah. Okay. So I think that explains body hacking, hopefully, to everybody. And we learned a new term, bonked. <laughs> it's going to be my new favorite <laughs> word. <laughs> so, you better watch out. You might bonk out. <laughs> you're bonked. <laughs> so, um, what made you not give up? Do you think it was just adrenal? Do you think it was your confidence? Um, anything that you can share? Because people give up on themselves like all the time. They not, might not have to be necessarily in extreme cir circumstances, but what do you think was the most helpful in just making that flip that switch decision? Like I've got two choices right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, I mean, of course, I think the number one, um, uh, contributed contributor to to me doing that to not giving up is you know just my my history my experience my confidence and the the amount of equipment I did have on hand I mean I didn't have certain items that I really would have loved to have had but um, that made me confident you know I, I knew that I could handle the situation if things kind of went my way I mean there was there was some luck involved because I did luck out with the weather didn't rain that would have made my situation much more critical um i had sunny weather the whole time even though it did drop in the 30s at night which is very dangerous um you know that made me you know be able to have windows of opportunity to dry out to stay dry in the night and also um be you know seen by search and rescue you know if it was foggy and rainy and they they would not have been able to be out there searching for me um, so I did luck out on that. Um, and then I think um, a huge part of me not giving up, and I say I didn't give up, I gave up for one sentence. So I'll describe that sentence in a no, second. I just got goosebumps because I already <laughs> Yeah, so Christy has heard this story, but I'll, I will tell you my, I did have about 30 seconds where I did lose hope. Um, and it didn't happen the entire time I was out there. And I, I think 50% uh, of the reason was, I mean, 50% was my confidence in myself, my skills, my abilities, my equipment. Um, this other 50% was the people out there that I knew 
were not going to give up looking for me, that they, I had people in my life who loved me very dearly. I mean, especially my husband, you know, I knew, I mean, anybody who knows Brad, somehow, some way he was going to make it happen. He would end up, I don't know, somehow activating the entire, um, <laughs> you know, army <laughs> for, the, for the federal army, not just the National Guard, to, to go out there and search for me. I mean, I knew somehow if, it, if, if somebody was going to make it happen, Brad would. Yeah. So he would have moved a mountain. Him. Brad would have physically <laughs> moved the mountains, everybody. He would have. Yes. He, they would have pulled out one tree at a time if they needed to, to look for me out there. Yes. So that's Brad. Mm -hmm. I was very confident in that. That's so him. And I knew he would never give up. Mm -hmm. um, and secondly, just the, you know, the people, I knew that people in my life were confident in me and were sending me their, you know, their prayers, their, their, you know, good juju, their positive energy, whatever you want to call it, you know, whatever any individual calls it. I knew that there were people out there who were rooting for me, sending me this positive energy, and, you know, that I, I couldn't let them down. I couldn't just, you know, have them do that in, in vain and, and believe in me so much to take the time to do that. And me just kind of, you know, I would, I felt like that would just be so disrespectful, like that as spit in the face of everybody who, who loved me and believed in me was praying for me to just sit down and give up on myself when everybody else was trying so hard and doing everything that they could from wherever they were to, you know, whether it be being involved in the search or checking in on Brad or, you know, doing prayer circles or whatever it was, um, it would just be disrespectful to them and those efforts to, to give up on myself out there. So I knew I owed it to everybody to, to do the best I could and not, not to just sit down and give up and, and, and die, which I had, that was a very real choice out there. I could have made that choice. It would have been very easy to die that first night with hypothermia. I could have just laid down and went to sleep and I would have never woke up. So it really was that easy of a choice. For, for somebody to make out there. It wasn't, you know, I didn't have to jump off a, a, a building or, or a mountain, you know, I really, it, it, it was that critical out there to, to give up on myself. So I had a choice and I, I drove myself, you know, to make that. And I, I played these kind of mental games with myself out there to keep my spirits up, you know, even when things went wrong. And when I fell in the damn river again, <laughs> and it's like, and I'm <laughs> shivering and all of my muscles are contracting and locking up. And, you know, and those are moments like that where anybody, you know, can make that choice of, okay, this is it. I just can't do this anymore. And I just kept playing these mental games with myself of, no, I'm going to tap into, you know, what, what Christy is thinking about me right now, what, Brad is thinking about me right now, what my mom is thinking about me right now, you know, what would they say to me in this situation? You know, they, they would say, don't give up. It's all right. You got wet. You got to shake it off, you know, do what you can to get dry. You got to move on, keep moving. So those are the things that kept me going. And you, I had to, it's a mental game at that point. You know, if I knew I could survive it physically. I had the physicality to be able to do it. Yeah. But the, the mindset game became critical as well. And, you know, especially at night, you know, and especially sleep deprived 
and you spent two hallucinating. Nights. Yeah, you had two nights. Two nights. You're in the dark, yeah. alone. Yeah, in the dark, in the middle of a forest, all by myself, alone. And it can you can go to a very dark place mentally in that space. And knowing if I just stop moving for a while, that's it. That's the last thing I'll do. Yeah. So, you know, having those, I just would, I would talk to myself all night long as I paced. I would talk to, I, before I started that, I sat down, I opened my phone, I looked at all the pictures on my phone of, and I have all my, you know, family and my husband and my dogs and my friends. And I talked to every single person who was in my phone and would say by name, you know, I'd say, I have that picture of you and me. I won't say which one because <laughs> might not be appropriate, but <laughs> you know the one I'm talking about. Yeah. But so I have a picture of you and I, and I would say, oh, you know, you're such a dear friend to me. I love you so much. I know you're praying for me. Thank you so much. Please don't give up hope. I'm here. I'm going to do everything I can. And I would say that to every single person. Now, I wouldn't be tearing up like I am now because I turned that system off. you couldn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it doesn't, that wasn't a part of my survival. So that got pushed off to the side. Yeah. But um, yeah, so every single person. So if you are in my phone, if you know that, if you're listening to, you know that I spoke with you that night. Hopefully you felt that. But I was just kind of drawing it. That was part of my mental game to draw that energy back from you guys. Because I knew that you had that energy and you were sending that to me. And those prayers, you were sending that to me. And I was kind of sucking them out of the, the, the camera, you know, just like, all right, I'm going to inhale this back in. I'm getting that, those positive prayers and vibes you're sending me. I'm going to recharge my system because I know I have a long night ahead of me. And that's why I did it right before the sun went down. Because I knew the nighttime was going to be the hardest thing to go through. And that's what charged me to keep pacing back and forth, back and forth all night long, just keeping one foot in front of the other in the pitch black, out in the middle of the forest by myself all night long. So can you feel the presence of prayer? Yeah, and I, I would say uh, with 100% certainty that before this experience, I would have said absolutely not. But after, during this experience, I would say 100% yes. And I'm, you know, I'm a science lady. I'm a nerd. I'm, you know, I'm a proclaimed atheist, you know. And before this experience, I don't, certainly don't think I could say that now. Um, but I have always been about evidence. You know, I need evidence. I'm a scientist. You know, I need to. I need data. I say that to all my clients. <laughs> you can't just tell me, oh, I'm following the plan. I'm following my nutrition plan. Oh, really? Well, I need data. You <laughs> can't just say, I'm doing this. <laughs> Show me the money, right? <laughs> like, I got to see your, your food logs. I've got to see your macros. I've got to, you know, I want pictures of the labels on the back of whatever that drink you're drinking. I don't know what that is. I need to see what's in it, right? Right. You know, so I need data, you know, and that's how I help my clients. And that's helped, that helped me get to my peak health and fitness, mm -hmm. right? So I need data. I need evidence. And so out there, I received undeniable evidence of the power of prayer and energy and good juju or whatever you want to call it 
because there were things that happened out there that were far beyond consequences. I mean, you could say, okay, well, that was a consequence. Well, then another one would happen. Well, then another one would happen. And I, I did these things. I, I did mantras every evening as well, where I would, I would say out loud like a hundred times. I mean, because I had nothing but time on my hands, right? So <laughs> I had plenty of time to do it. I could say something, I can say five things I needed. I would just pick five things I absolutely need or want to happen the next day, you know? So it will be sunny, it will be sunny, it will be sunny, it won't rain, you know? So I would, I would just repeat these things. And there were things that I needed. I um, lost my hiking poles when I hiked. I'm, gonna, I'm not even gonna say it, was a, it wasn't a hike. <laughs> it was a, a slide, yeah. a climb slash slide, um, a mudslide basically down the ridge um, for hours. And I lost my hiking poles. They got ripped off my backpack. Um, so, and the, the river crossings were critical to have four points of contact. And that's why I kept falling in the river that first day when I got down to that river was I didn't have my poles. And so it, 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 you know, if you don't have four points of contact, it makes you much more likely to lose your balance. So I, I said that, that first night I spent out by the river, I said, I need hiking poles. I need a perfect length and weight, two sticks. <laughs> I need them. And I just kept repeating that, repeating that, repeating that. I needed a knife. I wanted to try and create kindling. So I needed to cut down very thin strips and dry them out in the sun on rocks. I didn't have a knife with me. So the next day I'm kind of starting my walk and I'm, you know, keeping my eyes open and I see the perfect stick. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, whoa, and I pick it up, it's the perfect height, the perfect weight. I'm like, wow, this is like, this was made for me. And then I look over and I see another one and I go over and I'm like, wow, this one's a little higher, but you know what? That's actually works out better because, you know, if one side is deeper than the other, when I'm crossing the river, I need that because I need to have both hands kind of as, as you know, parallel as possible. So if it's deeper on one side, then I'm gonna be like this and off balance. So I actually need a longer pole to have my hands parallel. And I'm like, wow, that's a, that's an crazy, insane coincidence, right? Well, like I'm going along a little while later and I just happen to look over on the bank of the river and I see a knife, a rusty knife with, you know, didn't have the, um, the handle on it, but it just washed, had washed up at some point out there. And it was all rusted out and it was pretty fragile, but I'm like, all right, now that's not a coincidence. <laughs> that is, I mean, you can't say that was a coincidence that I happened to find a knife when I just said that about a hundred times last night. And I just happened to find one on the side of the river. So things like that can just kept happening. And I also, at, this, at the same time, the whole time I was out there, I mean, not only was I kind of just feeling a lot of positive energy and just, you know, just kind of knowing people were really hoping and praying for me. I just kept feeling a presence like off back behind my back to my right. And it's almost like sometimes like when somebody's in the room and, you know, they didn't announce themselves, but they're over there and you know, they're there and you yeah. turn your head, you know, and you're like, Oh, there they are. That's what I kept doing. I kept looking like maybe somebody's over there and it just kept, 
I just felt like somebody had my back out there. And it, it just really was a physical presence for me out there. And I, at this point, it's just, it was starting to become, okay, I'm getting evidence. And, and now I'm rolling into the third day and that's where I lost hope. Because at that point I had not heard any signs of any kind of search. And I had hope that people were searching for me, but I had no evidence that anybody was searching for yeah. me. So I started to lose hope. And you know, I'm looking at now the day's starting to end, and now I'm, I've got another horrible night ahead of me fighting hypothermia. So I had gotten down um, as far as I possibly could. My, my mission that day was to go as far west as possible in the river. I, it was the most arduous climb. That's when I split all my nails from climbing and bouldering for hours. And I got to a place where it was impassable. It was just cliffside, cliffside, raging river. That was it. I couldn't go any further. There was no cell signal. I was done. And I really had set a lot of hope into that trek west for me. And as I was looking at that impassable place and how hard I had just worked to get there and how exhausted I physically was. And now this is day three and the, the sun's you know, starting. It was about maybe two o'clock-ish around that time. So I knew I needed to kind of find my campsite for the night, get dried out, you know, prepare for the night. And I just remember looking back and going, I have to go through that again. Another hours of trekking back and I lost hope. And I had this, the sentence just kind of went through my mind. And I said, I'm going to go back to that clearing that I had seen a, a couple of hours back and that's where I'm going to die. And I said that to myself in my mind, that was the first negative thought I had the entire time out there. And it really was just a very low point for me mentally. I just had put so much hope into that going west. And I had kind of no plan B at that point other than going back to that clearing. So as soon as I said, die in my mind, I heard a helicopter. And I thought I was hallucinating at first because you know, you hear things out there, you think you hear voices, the, the river sounds like voices sometimes, or the birds make weird noises. <coughs> so I was like, no, wait, that's not, is that really a helicopter? And I stopped and I just kind of froze and was listening, listening. Yeah, that's a helicopter. And I turned, I got my compass out, you know, oriented it. It was, it was back towards where I had started my hike. So it was coming from the correct direction. Um, and then I watched on the tree line and saw them kind of come over the tree line, but it was so far away. There was no way they could see me. And so I confirmed, yeah, that is a search and rescue helicopter. I could see that from here. Um, and I was like, oh my God. Now, is that a coincidence? That is not a coincidence. That was the moment, the first moment, the entire time I had really given up hope. And I just kind of set my mind to, now I'm gonna die. And the universe had a different plan. And said, nope, not today. <laughs> not today, you're not gonna die today. <laughs> right. That's so, awesome. Yeah. 
so so much evidence for just spiritual interventions out there it um you know it's a lot to process as as a uh a, a previous atheist i guess um i don't know what i am at this point but you know the evidence was and my experience was that there were interventions and that the people who were hoping and praying for me or um those those things intervened in my my experience at, at very, very critical moments. And, you know, that's undeniable. Well, I, you know, as a chiropractor, people say we're not scientific and, you know, want to talk about evidence-based that creates a big divide between like natural medicine and alternative medicine. But we have always said, what about the evidence of somebody's experience? You know, mm -hmm. so your evidence is your experience. Nobody can argue with you that you had a real life intervention out there, you know, that you had this source of presence that you could feel prayer. And it's the same in life, you know, like you can't exclude one person's experience just because science hasn't caught up with the facts sometimes too, you know? Right. So mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. I think I only have one more question for you. And kind of on that same note, because um, I know that you always want to spin something for the positive and help other people who might have the same circumstances. Your whole life has been of service to our country, you know, and to the military, and even you made a career out of continuing that level of service to help others. You've dedicated your entire life to helping other people. And now you've made yourself the example. You've created your own proof of evidence that everything that you do and promote and work so hard towards what does work. You didn't have to take it to such an extreme, <laughs> but you just <laughs> are the living evidence and proof of how important everything that you've made an entire life style, career, and service, it works, and how critically important it is. Um, so I know you're going to want to leave a message for other people who might have missing people, you know, currently. I don't know if you have any statistics about how many people are missing, you know, as we live and breathe and speak right now. But what would you say to anyone out there who is currently praying for somebody who might be a missing person? Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I mean, for any circumstance, I mean, any, you know, we all have tragedy in our lives at some point, you know, that's, that's a part of life. It's a part of our life's journey. And, you know, again, I think we all have a decision point that we come to where we can decide to, you know, to, to panic and freeze or, or panic and flee. Um, or we can do what we need to do to survive and then use those lessons to not only just survive, but thrive. I think that's the key is, you know, sometimes things don't work out. You are going to fail. You know, if you, I don't know, anybody can raise their hand and say, I've never failed before in my life. They're you know? lying. <laughs> right. They're lying. You know, we all fail. And the, the critical point is, are you going to, you know, flee and panic? Are you going to just survive it? 
or are you going to survive and thrive? Now, you know, if you have somebody who is, is missing or maybe just kind of not a part of your life anymore for any kind of circumstance or reason, you know, you can, you can never give up hope, but also be, be prepared to, to go through this journey in a place of thriving rather than just, you know, surviving or panicking and getting stuck where you're at, you know, so you can look at it as a journey being lost. You know, if you're going through something rough right now, something hard, you know, whether it be a, a separation or divorce, um, you know, maybe you've recently lost a loved one. Um, you know, maybe you're suffering from many, you know, medical conditions right now and you're losing hope. It's, you have a choice. Nobody can make this for you. That's the other thing. Nobody can make you do this. You have to do this on your own. It's, it's, you have to find within you to say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to panic and freeze in place and go nowhere with this. I'm not going to just survive this and be a victim and not learn from this experience. I'm going to survive and thrive no matter what. And you can use all of the tools that you have available to you, whether it be your spirituality, um, you know, your, your health practitioners, your spiritual um, guides, your friends, your family member, your husband, your wife, your partner, your animals, <laughs> your lovely fur babies, you know, your children, all of those people who are in your life who genuinely care about you and are willing to give you a kind of a piece of their positivity, their prayer, their energy, you know, draw from that and use that as energy like I did, you know, think of it as, as you looking at your phone and just sucking that, that positive warmness and energy in and using that as fuel to help you get through this hard journey that you're going through right now. But the point is to keep moving and to, to tap in those tools that you have at your disposal. You know, and you may have to go out and get those tools. You might have to go get therapy. You may have to go see somebody like Dr. Christie and get on a good regimen to help start your healing process. I'm on a journey now to heal my body <laughs> you know, with Dr. Christie and heal my body from that traumatic experience. I'm on a journey mentally with my therapist to heal my mind and my spirit from that process. So it's, I am not only a survivor of the circumstance, I am determined beyond a shadow of a doubt to thrive from this experience. And you have a, a decision to make too. And you always have that choice at any time to not just survive, but thrive. I love that. I can't even say anything else because that's like a perfect, perfect summary. So I think we'll end on that. Um, I know Stephanie's an open book. There's lots of ways that you can um, get in contact with her. She's all over social media. Um, we can put some links and stuff where they can contact you um, and, you know, learn about the tools and resources that you used while you were out there. Um, if you are a hiker, um, some tools as far as how to get on some meal plans and some fitness regimens to get your strength and endurance up as well. Um, so we'll make all that available to the viewers. Um, but Steph, thank you for sharing. I know it's hard. You're still processing it. It's still very raw and fresh. But I thought it was important to capture it while it's new. 
and um, you're an amazing person. I already knew that, but this just shows how you can put it into action and pay it forward and help so many more people with your story. So thank you.